welcome to the New Money Review podcast. I'm Paul Amory, editor of New Money Review. Cryptocurrency billionaires are gaining a political foothold in countries rich and poor. Their influence now extends into governments, legislatures, charities and educational establishments around the world. In the US, cryptocurrency businesses' lobbying power now exceeds that of the big tech, pharma and defence sectors. And crypto promoters are finding a ready audience in some of the world's most deprived and war-torn countries, often those with sizeable natural resources. Despite the recent failure by El Salvador to achieve the domestic adoption of Bitcoin, the leaders of several African countries are now following suit, pushing their own cryptocurrency projects. In the latest New Money Review podcast, Pete Howson, Assistant Professor in International Development at the UK's University of Northumbria, talks about the worrying shift towards a global political system influenced by a very undemocratic creation, cryptocurrency. If you'd like to support the New Money Review podcast, you can do so using Patreon. Details of how to do so are on our website, newmoneyreview.com, in the right-hand margin. Pete, welcome to the New Money Review podcast. Could you start by telling listeners a bit about yourself and your area of work? I'm Assistant Professor in International Development at Northumbria University in Newcastle. Um, I've been looking at cryptocurrencies and blockchain technology and how it's been used for um, environmental projects and facilitating this net zero uh, green economy um, idea for some time. Um, I'm writing a book at the minute, which is called Let Them Eat Crypto, which is, I guess, critically engaging with the humanitarian blockchain cryptocurrency projects that are being pushed in much of the global south. So, Pete, uh, last year, El Salvador uh, announced it was going to make Bitcoin legal tender. Uh, a year on, you've described that as a you know, kind of dismal failure, the experiment with making Bitcoin legal tender in that country. Why did that Central American country um, decide to do that? What was going on there? So back in early 2021, um, we had this conference in Miami, the Bitcoin annual conference. Um, A guy called Jack Mallers, um, he famously announced at that conference that um, Nayib Bukele, the president of El Salvador would be making Bitcoin legal tender with parity with the US dollar. Um, And he was going to rush this through. So it would go through in a matter of months. Um, The weird thing is, is that Jack Mallers, he's this 27-year-old cryptocurrency um, broker from Chicago, you know, young chap, not a lot of political... um, well, he doesn't have any political experience at all. Um, he writes this Bitcoin law um, for a, the country of El Salvador. So a massive piece of legislation was going to be sort of rushed through in a matter of months um, for an entire country written by a 27-year-old. Um, and in the following September 2021, um, it gets rushed through. At the same time, we have... Um, this Chivo app and um, um, banking platform that gets set up. Um, Everyone in El Salvador is um, allowed to open this app and they automatically get issued with $30 worth of Bitcoin 
um, in the hope that this would increase adoption and onboard as much of the population of El Salvador and push this through as a success there. Um, I mean, what we know now is that this has been incredibly costly. Um, I think some have said that it's around 370 million. I think this very poor country is spent on setting up just the Chivo um, banking system alone. And it's flopped completely. It's been a dismal failure. Most people have just taken the $30 and run. Um, And actually, a lot of people in El Salvador have, have made the most out of the fact that there's been dismal security on this app. So they've been able to set up um, Chivo accounts in the names of people that they don't know, take the $30 and run. Um, nobody wants it. I mean, when the price was going was going up, no one wanted to spend it. And when the price is going down, nobody wants to accept it. So, I mean, this is obviously going to lead to disappointing outcomes for Bitcoin in El Salvador, and it, and it has. I mean, that's just the money that's been lost on the Chivo platform so far. I mean, we've you also have to look at the amount of money that El Salvador and Nayib Bukele has apparently spent on Bitcoin um, for for his treasury. Um, I mean, nobody knows for sure that Nayib Bukele has been buying up so many millions worth, I think um, $100 million worth, I think was the estimate that he spent um, on Bitcoin. I mean, he claims to do this naked whilst he's on the toilet. Um, <laughs> but the only evidence of this is is his tweets. His tweets, yeah. There's no, there's no, um, there's no, well, there's no, no one has managed to link these transactions to a particular record on the Bitcoin uh, database. So let's hope he's fibbing. I mean, because if he isn't, then you've got this incredibly poor country that's lost, you know, 500 million or something, some crazy amount of money on um, on this experiment. I mean, so Nye- why, why, why was why was Bukele uh, keen to do this? Was it did he just get caught up in the cryptocurrency mania, or were there some other reasons for him to uh, get involved in? I mean, well, clearly, Bitcoin is not a great currency to have as legal tender because it's too volatile. No one really wants to price goods and services in Bitcoin, and, and so people will always think of the dollar equivalent of Bitcoin rather than Bitcoin itself. And as you said, people are just taking the $30 and running. So why was El Salvador keen to do this? Why was the president of El Salvador keen to do this? Well, again, I mean, there are rumours that Nayib Bukele has actually been a a, a crypto bro for some time. I mean, there's there there are rumours that um, Nayib Bukele managed to finance much of his um, presidential campaign um, using Bitcoin and the profits he made from that. So, I mean, he's been interested in Bitcoin for some time. Um, so that could be one reason why that he's trying to increase adoption in his country. Um, I mean, Nayib Bukele is a, a TikTok despot. I mean, he's he's a bit like Trump. He's a, very, he's a populist leader um, that will follow any online um, t- Twitter thing that's sort of going viral at any particular moment. Um, I mean, so with the ascent of Bitcoin, Nayib Bukele puts laser eyes on his Twitter profile and it starts going off on, you know, how he buys the dip and everything when he's sitting on the toilet. And 
and as soon as Bitcoin goes away and isn't being chatted about so much, then suddenly, you know, the, the Twitter profile changes and he's not interested apparently anymore and you don't hear him talk about this. Um, right. There's lots of people in the El Salvadoran government that says that, you know, we just don't talk about it anymore. Yeah. It was a, it was an experiment that is uh, that is gone, and so I think that's how you have to have to look at this. I think really for Naib Bukele, this was his opportunity to put stick a big middle finger up to the IMF and to um, intergovernmental organisation and foreign governments that are trying to stop Naib Bukele pushing through these big law and order uh, reforms that he wants to push through in in El Salvador. Right. So, so given that this experiment has, you know, by any objective measure been a failure, um, no one's using Bitcoin to send remittances from other countries back to El Salvador and local businesses are not using Bitcoin. Why are other countries following suit? We had Central African Republic in April 2022, six months later, saying it was going to do the same thing and introduce uh, legal tender status for Bitcoin. Yeah, the, it, it does seem that there are lots of countries that are following. It's, a, it's quite difficult to work out um, the fact from the fiction in terms of crypto land projects. I mean, back in um, early 2022, we had this sort of crypto land um, project that sprung up um, that people still don't know whether this is fact or fiction. It's... it's um, with a lot of cryptocurrency um, projects, the, there's a lot of bluster and a lot of just these bizarre sort of techno babble, crypto gobbledygook. Um, but with these crypto land experiments, they they promise a materiality for these cryptocurrencies. So you're you you have you know everything from the SS Satoshi, this cruise ship, which was going to be this libertarian fantasy cruise ship that was going to take around the, the world these um the faithful followers of crypto yeah. and then you had you know these the crypto land and um blockchain island and places like that and it's difficult to see whether you know these these new promises that come from the central african republic or from nigeria these places these these sort of material manifestations of crypto economics are actually going to take place or they're, or they're not. So um, one example, the Central African Republic um, have promised that they're going to build a, crypt, a blockchain city or crypto city, uh, which they're calling Sango, and it's going to have a stable coin, um, which is connected to Bitcoin, um, called, called Sango. And they're doing this early initial coin offering if you like um to try and get people to buy this and which would inevitably fund the building of this crypto city um but we've had similar projects before this so acon city is another one where the um the the us rapper acon has promised that in senegal he's going to be funding this six billion dollar crypto city called acon city uh, run on on this cryptocurrency um in nigeria there's there's this um digital blockchain city that's been promised by akon as well um binance as well have promised things for nigeria sorry 
Akon have promised another Bitcoin city in Uganda, as well as in Senegal. So there's lots of these promises that these Bitcoin cities are going to be created, um, almost in the vision of Bitcoin Beach and yeah. um, Bitcoin City in El Salvador. But there's yeah. no action on the ground. The problem, the problem with all of this is that the people who suffer are the, those local people whose lives are on hold because they're expecting these their land to be um, to become this sort of mecca for crypto evangelists and it's going to make them all very rich. But because it it's it it never comes to fruition, so you just get these people yeah. that are stuck in limbo. Yeah, I mean, uh, if you if you go back in financial history, this this kind of pro- these types of project where someone raises money and promises to build a, some kind of utopia somewhere, typically halfway around the world, uh, maybe in South America, Central America, or in Africa, these things are not new. I mean, they've they've happened from you know the South Sea bubble to the Gregor McGregor's, um, a Scottish soldier who had a this sort of fictional country in South America that he raised money for, and he claimed he was the ruler. I mean, in, in those days, people didn't probably didn't know what was in Central America at all, and they, well, maybe people are no less gullible these days. Obviously, people some some people have bought into these uh, schemes. So, I mean, what is what is going on here? Is it just a the 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 manifestation of the, the cryptocurrency mania that we're seeing with all these projects, or is there something more serious going on? Are some are some other you know is this being used for some kind of large scale money laundering or the you know the the movement of, of Criminal funds, mercenary funds. I mean, I noticed that from one of your articles that um, you know there's a clear association between the ruler of the Central African Republic and some of the you know Russian paramilitary groups that effectively you know run the countries. So, you know, what is is there a is there a political angle that some that many of us are missing? Yeah, well, I mean, it's, it certainly appears that sort of the the main use case of Bitcoin, which is sanctions, evasions, I think, and tax evasion and money laundering. I mean, all of that is playing into these new crypto utopian experiments. Um, I think that's f- fairly obvious from the Central African Republic because um, they've had very t- close relationships with um, with Russia for some time. They um, they they have statues memorializing the um the Wagner Wagner sorry um um militias that have been helping car push the rebels out of um the capital there um, and Wagner and Wagner is interested in or the this part of the Russian power structure is interested in central african republic because they 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 what they they're exporting commodities from there what are they doing in in that part of the world yeah, I mean that Russia is trying to exert its influence, I think, on that on that region, and they're making the most of the fact that there's this, um, I guess, colonial legacy with France that's falling apart in much of the region as well, and um, yeah. Russia's been trying to sort of fill the void there for some time. I mean, there's there's evidence that. Um, a lot of Russian financed NGOs are operating in Central African Republic and they're receiving funding in privacy preserving cryptocurrencies like Monero right. um, and um, uh, and Zcash and other um, cryptocurrencies including Bitcoin um, so I mean that's that's one reason I think 
Um, I mean, it's also, it's also convenient, I think, f- especially from El Salvador, um, their perspective is is they want to... Um, they're, they're stuck in El Salvador because they have a dollarized um, financial system. So they can't print money. Um, they have very sort of minimal um, economic sovereignty there. I just want to ask you at that point, Pete, are there, are there cryptocurrency billionaires flying around the world going to countries like the Central African Republic and saying, look, you guys can uh, come along with us. You can stick two fingers up at the IMF and other multilateral institutions. You can tell the US to go away and, and with its all its anti-money laundering laws and so on. And, and you know, deal with us. We'll, we'll set a cryptocurrency regime up for you. You can get funding in cryptocurrency and you don't have to worry about those guys anymore. Is that happening on a global scale? Yeah, I mean, there's plenty of evidence for that. I mean, Chang Peng Zhao, who's the um, CEO of Binance, um, I mean, he's 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 very openly um, flying around the world, going to um, these emerging economies and um, trying to achieve market dominance using their platforms. Um, so, you know, in Nigeria, Binance has promised that they're going to help um, with the construction of this new um, digital blockchain zone, um, similar to what they have in Dubai, which has sort of very friendly crypto regulations um, for companies like Binance to come in. Cardano as well. Um, so, I mean, it does it does seem like the disaster capitalism narrative is... Um, being pushed to its extremes with these crypto projects like Cardano. Um, so in Ethiopia, we've got this this conflict that keeps going on, the civil war um, in Tigray, for example. Um, and obviously, you'd think that like during periods of like this of conflict and disaster, you know, this isn't the right time for you to launch your crypto project in in such a region maybe you should do it in a safe place so the, um, the narrative pete sorry to interrupt you the narrative is is what is that the the, the the global financial system is is on its last legs it's it's prone to collapse and you guys should come along with us use crypto instead it's it's going to be the future and you can just uh you know you can get, make a great leap forward with with a cryptocurrency rather than sticking with the dollar-based global system that we have yeah, so I mean, the example in Tigray, I think, is an interesting one. So Cardano have openly said that they want to use Ethiopia as a launch pad and make Cardano and their um, ADA token the, the the backbone of the economic infrastructure across the continent of Africa, starting mm. in Ethiopia. And it's to me that's that you know that that that's deeply unethical. Why would you start your crypto experiment in a country which is in the state of civil war you know where yeah. um vast portions of the populations are suffering from starvation where rape is used as a weapon of war and where lots of the country is having to shift into sudan as a as a, a refugee like to me it's just that is not a good place 
for you to start experimenting with crypto economics. But, but it I'm, is true, uh, Pete, uh, that, that, that um, I mean, taking Central African Republic as, a, as an example, again, um, that, that by some measures, that's the poorest country in the world. And it's you know, bottom of the rankings for corruption. And, and it's got a, a war that's been going on for 10 years. So it's not a coincidence that the cryptocurrency people are picking out the countries that are most um, you know, uh, that have been most disrupted, that are in, in, in a terrible state. That That's just where they, they think they can, um, you know, gain a foothold effectively. Yeah, but it does seem bizarre, though, that, you know, I mean, as you say, like the Central African Republic is, if not the most poor, it's the second poorest country by um, human development um, index in the world. It has the lowest internet penetration of any country in the world. So again, it's just like, well, why would you? It's odd, yeah. Yeah, why would you focus on um, economies like this? And um, I mean, essentially, it's obvious to see how this is going to make problems much worse. Um, so in in Central African Republic, if you've only got like eleven percent of the population that has access to the internet, then that's your target market. You're focusing on these people, and you you, you know you've got this digital divide that is potentially going to exacerbate inequality in this vastly unequal country. So it's obvious that this is going to come in and make things much worse. Um, I mean, I mean, and, and that's what I think cryptocurrencies and blockchain have always tended to do. I mean, they, they are a, um, a solution in search for a problem, but when they encounter a problem, they don't, make that problem better or go away they just create loads more problems and make the um make things a, a lot worse than they were before um and i can't see any examples of where this technology has made things better um so you've, why... written, you've written pete that uh, you think that cryptocurrency is enabling a new form of colonialism so in other words these countries that, that think they're or maybe Maybe they don't really think it, but they're they're going along with it anyway. The the, the, peop, the people that are jumping on this new trend are actually not liberating themselves from what they might see as a you know the problems or the legacy of earlier colonialism. They're actually jumping into a situation that that's probably worse for for the future. Yeah, that's right. And I think a, a good stark example of this crypto colonialism you can see in Puerto Rico. So in in Puerto Rico, in the aftermath of Hurricane Maria. Um, the government, in order to promote reconstruction, they put in favourable tax systems to try and entice these crypto blockchain developers and techie people to come to and set up shop in, in Puerto Rico. Um, but, I mean, what we've seen happen is, obviously, crypto people aren't fans of paying tax. I mean, that's one of the reasons why they've set this currency up. So they're sort of outside the purview of the state and they see tax and, and regulation as a sort of imposition um, from a corrupt state. So um, you have these crypto evangelists that come down to places like Puerto Rico. They buy up all of this prime real estate Um force out local populations push all the prices up and they don't give anything back they're not paying anything in taxes and trying to support local social services they tend to live in these gated communities um where they they, they enrich themselves and each other um but not the host 
communities that have um, that are putting them up. And there's a lot of work that's been done. Um, Gillian Crandall's looked at um, the context of of um, Puerto Rico in a lot of detail. Um, but you know, they. Well, I'll let, I'll leave it at that for that example. And what so what I mean, what could be done about all this, Pete? Because you you've pointed out that um, the lobby the lobbying power of the cryptocurrency industry is huge and i think you've written that in the in the us as to give one example the total value of political donations from crypto companies is greater than all the defense and big pharma companies combined which and those are notoriously big uh contributors to political campaigns in the us so the the lobbying power of crypto is now huge uh we've seen some of those exchanges with checkered histories making inroads into you know developed financial markets in Europe you know Binance has got its foothold in France and increasingly in the UK you know what can what can anyone do to stop this trend or to reverse it yeah I mean it's not just the US I mean we're seeing this in the UK as well um so you've obviously you've got the um Matt Hancock who's um, been a, a Tory crypto bro for a long time um Tories like Eddie Hughes, um, who who's a, a Tory MP, who who thinks that people should be free to pay their council tax in Bitcoin. Um, we've we've got you know Jacob Rees-Mogg, who is the son of the founding father of crypto economics, um, James William Rees-Mogg. William, William Rees-Mogg. Yeah. Sorry. Generic, yeah, who wrote William. the sovereign individual in the in the nineteen nineties? That's right. Yeah. yeah. Um, so the the you, there's a lot of UK MPs that are um, being swayed by the the crypto lobby as well. I'd say it's less um, transparent in the UK compared to the US. I mean, we have those figures for the US, but we don't have any figures for the UK in terms of how much money is being poured into um crypto lobbying there but i mean what we do know is that we've you you know um the former chancellor philip hammond has is joined the cryptocurrency firm copper um and you know ed vasey john glenn phil davies they're all on the payroll with these big crypto firms in yeah, the and UK. Tom, tom tugan hat who's now minister in the government he, he made some strange comments about ethereum in parliament a few months ago um, yeah, this so. is a, yeah. I mean, but we've had other MPs that have stepped forward and says, you know, the the, the reach of the crypto lobby in, in the UK is 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 pretty extreme now. I mean, we've got this all party parliamentary group that has been set up in the UK, which is just funded by Copper, Crypto.com, Ripple Labs, eToro, all of these people that claim to just be the sort of um, impartial secretarial people behind this APPG but you know in reality they're not doing this because they're charities they're doing it because they want to um, push their agenda they want the UK to be a a a very light touch jurisdiction that they can put their crypto business Um, so yeah I I think it's as much as we look towards the global south um, it, towards El Salvador, Nigeria, Uganda, places like this, and you know we see these um, um, people from from Binance go to these places and promise the earth um, as long as they can 
promise um you know suitable regulatory frameworks for them i mean we the, Matt Hancock also hosted Changpeng Zhao and promised the earth to him um, in terms of London being the ideal home for um, crypto companies. Um, but Changpeng Zhao turned him down and moved to Paris instead and set up the um, headquarters for their business there. And this is despite the UK Financial Conduct Authority um, saying that it couldn't regulate Binance. It didn't, it, didn't, it didn't have enough information on the corporate structure of Binance to be able to even take a view on how to regulate, let alone actually do the regulation. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. It, it's exactly. So, so what? I mean, you, apart from the, the work you're doing, you're writing about this and explaining what's going on, it, you know, what what can be done? Because it sounds as though um, the, the, these people have their tentacles, you know, very far into political structures around the world and are kind of making the head where they, despite the fact that we're in a Bear market for cryptocurrency prices. They they seem to be making, you know, they're going, you know, f- um, you know, full speed ahead on making the infrastructure work to their advantage. Is what can be done? Um, I think there's a lot that can be done. Um, I mean, another example of 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 Binance putting its tentacles into um, governments in the global south is the Philippines. So the um, Binance has said that they're going to fund university courses in uh, crypto literacy in the Philippines. Mm. Um, and I'd, I'd say that this idea of seeing education as this sort of very sort of um, charitable thing to offer for developing economies, I think that needs to be looked at more critically. Um, because obviously the, they're not going to these places because they want to help people learn about general economics they want to go to these places in order to um improve rates of adoptions on their platforms yeah and um so i think universities have a a big part to play um in the uk as well i mean you know you've got london school of economics and even the university that i work at are all sort of offering these courses in crypto literacy um, yes. So I think that we we need to start offering courses in a more critical understanding of this technology. Uh, yes. So I think that's one uh, that's one thing we can do. I think we also need to have better regulation around charities. Um, so, for example, I've, there's a, a charity called Motive um, that has gone to the Peruvian Andes and they're working with impoverished um, indigenous communities, Quechuan communities there. And, um, you know, where they're, where they're finding extreme poverty caused by, you know, mining companies that have marginalised these um, people have stolen their land. Um, so, you know, these new neo-colonial forces in the form of cryptocurrency developers are going in there and saying, we know how to fix your problem. We know all you need to do is buy our Bitcoin off us. You know, I don't know how this, the charities like Motive are doing this, whether they're going in and saying, you know, we're providing you education, um, you know, on how to buy and sell cryptocurrencies using a exchange application like Coinbase or something, or whether they're saying, you know, buy our Bitcoin off us peer-to-peer, you know, this will help you, you know. And really all you're doing is swapping Bitcoin for um, 
for real money and then doing a runner and think that's how you're going to help poor people. And these are registered charities. So these are, you know, regulated charities. And that should, that's, that shouldn't be possible. You can't, you know, to, there needs to be much better regulation of um, non-profits, I think, in the US and the UK and elsewhere. Yes. But in, in a paper you wrote with Alex de Vries uh, last year, you, you called for, for, for bans on cryptocurrency as the most effective way of dealing with what you see as a you know, big global problem. Is that realistic? Because there are always going you giving taking the examples of the countries we've discussed earlier, there are always going to be some countries around the world with rusty infrastructure and, and desperate for money that will take the you know, they will take the bet on cryptocurrency and, and, and unless you can stamp it out everywhere, you really can't stamp it out at all, can you? Because Bitcoin is a, as to take an example, is a distributed network. You can't, you know, you can't, no single government can, can really do anything to, to stop it. Yeah, I mean, that, that's right. I mean, unless you have a globally coordinated approach to um, regulating cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin, then you're just simply going to be moving the problem around. I mean, that's mm. essentially the nature of it. There, in, uh, that paper that I wrote with Alex DeVries is is specifically focusing on proof of work cryptocurrencies. So these are cryptocurrencies that require mining, um, yeah. often using specialist um, infrastructure like ASIC machines, for example. Um, so I mean, you can regulate proof of work mining because it uses this specialist infrastructure. In the case of Bitcoin, so you could you know ban. ASIC machines, for example, um, and you can confiscate them when you when you find people that are, are doing it. So that you know it's possible, and it has been done in, in Malaysia. There's an example of this. You may have seen this video of them steamrolling ASIC machines um, that they've confiscated. Um, so I mean, it, it's definitely possible to do. But as as you say, I mean, let's take this example of um, China when they booted out Bitcoiners um, in 2021. I mean, all of those ASIC machines just went over the border into um, Central Asia and Eastern Europe and then everywhere else, including um, Maryland and Texas in the US. Yeah. And Texas has become this sort of epicenter of uh, Bitcoin mining in, in the US. But, um, I mean, no doubt eventually the people in Texas will will not tolerate another you know 700 deaths that they had last year during the winter storms because of power outages i mean if if bitcoin makes those power outages worse and there are more deaths then you'd have thought that eventually even texas would kick them out but unless you have a global coordinated approach all of those asset machines would just be loaded up onto shipping containers and they'll go and find another favorable jurisdiction and you know yeah. people like Binance CEO um, and you know other um, crypto um, organizations they they are laying the groundwork already in in those um, emerging economies so that when Texas or other jurisdiction boots out the crypto miners they've got somewhere else to go we need a globally coordinated approach. Yeah. So, so from what I mean, I think many people, probably myself included, have seen as a kind of financial speculation, uh, a, a bit of a craze, a bit of a mania. Um, what you're saying in your research is that there, are, there are you know, some major 
and increasingly important political problems when it comes to cryptocurrency. And we need to start thinking about them pretty urgently. Yeah, totally. I think it's getting a lot a lot worse. Um, I mean, now we're seeing, for example, with the Central African Republic and the Sango coin, the, the idea is that cryptocurrencies will be used as a way of selling a, a country's precious resources. In the case of Central African Republic, we're talking about diamonds and gold and precious metals. Um, you know, connected to a stable coin cryptocurrencies so that people can snap these resources up on the cheap, um, you know, without that sort of tax oversight that you'd expect. So it would mean that the poorest people in that country, the ones that don't have internet access, the 90% of people in the case of Central African Republic, will will see none of the benefits from this. Mm. And you have these corrupt leaders with very tight connections with Russia um, that are able to make lots of money out of their country's resources without sharing it with the rest of the population. And, mm. you know, the UK tax dialogue had a report a couple of years ago that was saying that, you know, countries in the global south, we need to have better, more robust tax frameworks so that they can f- finance public spending and social service provisions in those countries. And then you'll f- you have cryptocurrency projects that profess to have sort of humanitarian intentions that they're coming to free these people but in reality they're trying to um ensure that much of the as much of those expensive resources go in their pockets as possible without being shared with the wider public Mm. a pretty sobering outlook pete thank you very much for uh, taking the time to chat with me it's been been a fascinating chat and i look forward to following your work thank you Thanks for listening to this episode of the New Money Review podcast, The Future of Money in 30 Minutes. If you enjoyed the podcast, please like it, share it, or tell a friend about it. At our website, newmoneyreview.com, you can also sign up to our newsletter, which will keep you informed of all New Money Review articles and podcasts. If you'd like to support our work, you can do so via Patreon. Details of how to do this are on the homepage of our website. Finally, please join us soon for our next episode.